what a blessing that's going to be. Not only do they say that it takes about 120 to 200,000 to start a church, depending on the demographics and where you're at and all those things, but part of that is because we're not interested in transfer growth. Oh, we know naturally probably a little of that will happen, but, but we want to minister to people in the dark place. We want to bring people into the church that, never, that don't know the Lord, and we want to introduce them. We want to, our mission is to meet people where they are on their journey, right, and lead them to their greater story in Christ. Um, and we all have a greater story in Christ, by the way. I am not at my greatest story. I have got a lot of learning and growing to do to learn and walk in and step into my greater story in Christ. And the, the issue when you're planting a church is, the books also tell us, the studies also tell us, that it takes two years from the time a person commits to the Lord to the time they're discipled to the point where they become a regular giver. That means for two years we've got to find a way to functionally support the things that we want to do to offer the community there. So that what you guys are talking about is an absolute blessing. I can't believe the day is here. Um, it's been this crazy thing. You guys have walked us through the journey where we were on this totally, we don't know what God's got next, but we're going back into full-time ministry after 28 years. And then it was kind of like, wow, this could be anything. And then it was, well, that's what we wanted to be. And God said, no. And then we said, this is where we want to go. And God said, no. And we said, well, the two things we won't do are this and this. And God said, yeah, I'm going to send you here and do that. Um, and then when we finally settled on it, which felt like a relief to so many people and to us for a little bit, we woke up the next morning and realized for the first time we had to focus on not what we were doing, but what we were leaving. <clears throat> I appreciate Pastor Dan and all of the support. This has not been easy for either of us. For those of you who don't know, we're very close. He is one of absolutely my very best friends. So the past couple of months have been emotional and soul-searching in so many ways. It was very emotional when we talked about this. In fact, I actually have video footage of the deeply emotional moment right after Pastor Dan heard that God was sending the Pharisees out. In all seriousness, this weekend has been heavy with the weight of this final Sunday, and I think that I'm pretty much all cried out, especially after these last couple of days. I have so much to say to so many of you, but if it's okay with you, I'm going to sort of leave the crying and the good buying for the potluck afterwards. We're going to have a little bit of a celebration. We're going to share some things, seeing I have a couple of things to share. And for right now, let's get to the message. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me first, church, really quick? We have some partners just a couple blocks down the road that we've been praying for regularly as they've walked through some things. Uh, their pastor's on a health sabbatical, and their leadership team is small and mighty. And so we've been praying every day for a church two blocks down the road that way called The Edge, and we just want to do it one more time today. Would you just extend your hands that way towards The Edge? Lord, this morning we again pray for Pastor Tom. Lord, would you make him strong in his battle? Would you lift up his countenance, his spirit, and give him peace? Would you be with Sarah? Would you be with the kids? Would you be with the leadership team at the edge? Lord, this morning, even as they are worshiping, as we are worshiping today, Lord, as Jeremy is over there bringing the word, as the rest of our team is over there supporting them, would you show up and show off? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. You know, one of the things I've loved about being a part of this church is that it is filled with people who have a defiant faith. 
Each of us have struggled at hard times in our journey. And we've come together to build one another up. And can I tell you something? I think that's kind of what the church is supposed to look like. I really do. And I don't think it's about presenting ourselves as perfect or having it all together, but as broken people doing our best to help each other stay focused on Jesus and stay strong in a defiant faith. I wanted to accomplish three things today before we get to the potluck. And here's what I want to accomplish. One is I want to thank you. That's the first thing I want to do in my message today. I want to thank you for being my strength in times along my journey when I did not stand strong. You guys know our story. You know it's just a miracle that I'm even standing up here. And for some of you that know the deep history of our story, you would know what a miracle it is that God is calling us to Spokane, of all places. So thank you for having faith in me. And thank you for having faith for me when I didn't have it for myself. The second thing I want to do is I want to encourage you to continue to have a more defiant faith. We've all heard it said that you're either just coming out of a valley, going into a valley, or probably in the middle of your own valley. So wherever you are on that journey, I want to say one last time as your pastor, hold on! Stand firm! Have a defiant faith in the middle of midnight. And the last thing I want to do is implore you this implore you to share it. I want to remind you that just as Jesus has met you in your valley, and just like you met me in my valley, we all know people who are doing one of three things. Just coming out of a valley, about to go into a valley, or in the middle of a valley. And they need to see the radiant light that comes from you from having a defiant faith, no matter the valley. So I implore you, share it. This church is full of too many empty seats. And not because we care about numbers, but because we care about people. And we all know people who need the kind of faith and light that comes from Jesus in the middle of their midnight. Those are my three goals today. Defiant faith. Thank you for it. Encourage you in it. And implore you to share it. The title of the message today is, Even Though I Will. Even though I will. Say it with me. Even though I will. Say it again. Even though I will. Why is this important? Because at some point in life, life is going to deal us a hand that we didn't see coming. Has anybody in here ever been dealt a hand they didn't see coming? Huh? Come on. Something that just shook your world. Something you didn't ask for and you never intended. Was not part of your plan when you woke up that morning. Something difficult to comprehend or understand. One that made it hard for you to find any reason or find any joy in it. Find any purpose in it. A hand that made you angry with God. A hand that made you question your faith. I get it. I've been there. And not only that, but I know so many people that aren't in church today, and even worse, they aren't connecting with God at all, because when that moment came and they were blindsided, The night was dark and long. A moment of pain that was so intense, their conclusion was, if this is you, God, I'm out of here. Talk to the hand. I don't ever want to see you again. I will never grace the doors of a church if this is the life you have for me. Because in their moment came, they needed a defiant faith, or at least they needed to know somebody who had it, to see it on display 
to light the way. And it didn't happen. That's just the big moments in life. I think there are a lot of even smaller, kind of granular levels of situations below that. It can be easy sometimes to come into church on a morning like today and just sing, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Until I walk out the door and I get that text. Right? And then I go home and I'm kicking the dog and I'm mad at the kids. I walk out feeling blessed and highly favored, filled with God's power, and then somebody or something smashes into my blind side. And we're like, God, where are you now? You were good 15 minutes ago. You were good in the third stanza of the hymn. In those moments, I don't know about you, but this is my struggle as a guy who is wired the way that I'm wired. I have a million things happening in my mind and my spirit all the time. My mirror neurons and my empathy are going constantly. I am always taking the temperature of everybody in any room that I walk in. And my mind thinks in detail. It's made me very successful at work. It makes me a pretty good armor bearer. When Pastor Dan says, I've got a vision for doing this, the words don't come out of his mouth, and I have pictured every process step, every detail that needs to be taken care of. I have got the five-year plan, not only strategically, but methodically how we're going to get there. And when you're wired that way, I can't stop it. I can't shut it down. I walk into a room, and I think I know how you're all feeling, and I somehow, in the middle of all that, I can't control all of that. I can't control all those details that I'm thinking about. I can't control all the hearts that I'm considering. So what I do is the few things in my life that I can control, to get by through the day, I hold on to them tight. There's a problem with that. It doesn't matter how hold I tight, how hold on tight. Some of it is just water, and you just can't hold on. And then I find myself going, where are you, God? Where are you, God? I want to have a defiant faith, but my problem is the way that I'm wired, sometimes it's a struggle for me. That's why I completely understand that faith is a gift and I need to keep receiving it and receiving it and receiving it because I'm not very good at this. And I know that I'm not good at this because I'm married to somebody who's great at this. Cindy has an incredible measure of faith in people and in Jesus It's incredible. And I don't have it. I don't have it. I'd love to tell you that I'm the man of faith and power for the hour. You're associate pastor. Lord have mercy. I struggle in this area. My faith in those moments tends to deflate. Oh, I can have faith for you to overcome cancer. But when Kyla calls me and the car's broken down, son of a gun, I can't even get through the day. I'm so quickly just, my faith deflates. And I want us to have a faith that inflates in those moments. And not deflates in those moments. So I want to encourage you. I want to be people that rise into those moments with a defiant faith. A faith that will rise above the moment. And even more, I believe that living through our defiant faith above those moments, God will use us to help us reach out to those who are on the fringes, who are not journeying with Christ, who are not living out their greater stories. I'm constantly amazed by the stories of faith in the Scripture. Stories of broken men and women just like you and me. But somehow in the times of testing, their faith is inflated by the test, not deflated by it. They have these even though moments. I think about Noah when he was instructed in Genesis 7. Even though I haven't seen a flood, I will be obedient and build the boat. Even though I will. 
I think about Elisha in 2 Kings. Even though they were surrounded on all sides, he put his trust in the Lord. And in fact, in his calmness, when his servant was freaking out, completely surrounded by the armies, he just prayed, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And his servant's eyes were open. And his servant suddenly saw in the heavenly realms that there were more for them than against them. Because Elisha said, even though I am surrounded, I will trust in the Lord Almighty. I think about Daniel in the lion's den, in Daniel 6, saying that even though I face a den of lions, I will not stop praying to my God. I will trust Him to shut the mouths of those beasts. Think about Habakkuk in 3, even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice. I will be joyful in God my Savior. David in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though I will. I want to be a people even though I will know. I think about Job who lost everything. He lost everything. He didn't have a bad day. His car didn't break down. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his cattle. He lost his riches. He lost his home. He lost his abundance of wealth. And when he was at his lowest in pain and frustrated and crying out, honestly telling God how he was feeling, his friends just jumped right in. They began to encourage him to just denounce God, just curse God, just get it over with now. And in the midst of pain and authenticity, honestly crying out to God and even crying at God, when faced with outright denouncing his faith, Job said, even though he slay me, I will have hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. So many heroes of the faith come with this ability to face the worst that life can throw at them and somehow have a defiant faith that inflates in those moments rather than deflates. I want to be a man of defiant faith. I want to be an even though I will kind of guy. When the dark night comes in my life, I want to say, even though it is midnight, I will praise you. Even though I can't see in this darkness, I will glorify your name. Even though I don't like how it feels, I will declare that you are still good. I was at at a hospital bedside last night with a lady who was crying out in pain. And the doctors could not give her any pain medicine because of what was going on in her body. They did not trust her body to respond to it. She was actually getting delirious in her pain and screaming out. And I just kept whispering in her ear, God is good. God is good. And she would stop screaming and just say, yes, he is. Ah, yes, he is. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Even though I will. I don't know who in this room today is in the middle of a storm, but I know some of you are. Some of you are facing a doctor's diagnosis or the collapse of a family member. You're facing the loss of work, financial crisis. You've experienced the death of a loved one, pressure from work, unexpected phone call that turned your life upside down. You still have past memories that haunt you or fear something big that's coming. And you are dealing with a hand that you did not expect to be dealt with. I believe God knew that you'd be here today listening to this message or listening to it later on. And he believes that he wants to breathe. I believe he wants to breathe hope into your situation. 
that our faith will rise and not fall so that God's glory will be seen by all people around us. In Acts 16 is where we're going to spend a little time this morning. We find the Apostle Paul and some of his followers. Saul is with him. Timothy is with him. Luke is with him. And if you know the Bible at all, or if you're new, just to let you know, the book of Acts is the story of how the message of Jesus was spread to the world. Jesus has already come. He's lived. He's died on the cross. He's risen. He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us and spread the good news. And this book is the Acts of the Apostles, describing how that news was spread in the early church. One of those was the great Apostle Paul. And in his second missionary journey around the known world of Asia Minor and Europe, going city to city as God leads him to different places to tell his story, here we find Paul. And by the way, he who used to find Christians and beat them and torture them, he who helped to stone Stephen to death because of his faith, he who threw countless people into prison himself, but later had a conversion experience and came to know Christ. He, Paul, and his companions are now in Philippi. And we see in the scripture that while in Philippi, they went down to the river. They came across this place where women had gathered to to share and to pray. And in this group of women, they meet Lydia. Lydia is meeting with these women. They're already worshiping God, by the way, but they've not yet heard or accepted Christ. Lydia, by the way, is a businesswoman of fine wealth and influence. She has power in the city, power in the marketplace. She has some authority. And she hears Paul's teaching, and she becomes the first convert in the city. She also has the gift of hospitality. She invites Paul and his team to stay at her house, and in her entire home, when they come, is filled with new believers, and every one of them get baptized. It is likely that the very first Christian church in that whole region is the church that started in Lydia's house. And we're going to quickly walk through the story in Acts as it plays out. What I think you'll see is that there are a few different scenes here that we can relate to. Some scenes that comprise this play, if you will, that unfolds in Acts 16. The first scene is here in verses 16. Once when we were going to this place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. She was mocking them. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Scene one, Paul and his team arrive here with good intentions. Good intentions. Have you ever helped somebody because you had good intentions? Intervene because you had good intentions? All Paul wanted to do here was spread the word, share the love of Jesus that he himself had come to know. And while being mocked with his spirit in this girl, he could have just said, shut up. He could have said, Lord, seize her mouth. But no. His goal was beyond just getting his message across. His goal was her freedom. And he frees her with his prayer. Prays that she will be free from the evil spirit. Paul here had good intentions. Just like you had when you did something. You tried to help somebody. You stepped out. You shared your time. You shared your money. You shared your heart, your family, your house, your car. I know I'm surrounded by the good people of Life Spring here this morning, my family and friends. I know you. I have no doubt that many times in your life, 
you have tried to do something because you believe you were being led by the Lord or just because of your hearts of gold, you had good intentions. Like Paul, you were trying to be a part of somebody's solution. So he's spreading the love of Jesus. Jesus, Lydia and her whole house are saved. The slave girl is set free. But immediately his good intentions are met here in scene two, if you will, with ungrateful opposition. Ungrateful opposition. Maybe you can relate when your good intentions are met with ungrateful opposition. Maybe you've had that boss and your whole desire has been to just serve them, care about them. You like your job, you like your boss. You'd like to see them successful. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. It just keeps rolling back onto you. Your good intentions are met with ungrateful opposition. Somebody that you gave to, and all of a sudden, rather than being thankful, they just wanted more. Your good intentions are met with ungrateful opposition. As a soccer coach, I face this a lot. As a pastor, this comes up a lot in our lives. I can tell you this, literally within the same week, I had a guy send a letter to the district wanting me fired from my coaching job because I kept his freshman daughter on the junior varsity team. And within a week later, I was preaching at his dad's funeral when his family was so devastated they didn't know who else to turn to. Sometimes our good intentions are met with ungrateful expectations. Watch as scene two unfolds in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of now making money was gone because she was free, she could no longer tell fortunes. They grabbed Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Throwing the city in an uproar. Have you ever been accused of something you know just wasn't true, but somebody just had the spite? Was that really what was going on here? Excuse me that we just came in and Lydia's whole household was saved and baptized. Excuse me that one of your community members that's been filled with this evil spirit is now free. Yeah, I'm throwing the city into an uproar. But the owners don't care about the slave girl. See, all they care about is their bottom line. We don't care if people get free or not. We just want the cash to keep flowing. You see, without the Spirit in her, she could no longer make money from them. So they drag Paul and Silas where? Into the marketplace. Why? Because they're marketers. Where are they going to find their best sympathy? In the marketplace. Hey, our cash is no longer flowing. If we let these guys keep it up, pretty soon it's going to affect your bottom line. We need to do something about this. And Paul and Silas' good intentions are immediately met with ungrateful opposition. Have you ever had it happen? The best of times are suddenly met with the worst of times. We're going down the road and then the phone call comes. We're expecting a baby in the family and then the phone rings. We have a diagnosis in our story instead of a celebration. You got the text. You just finished building the house right before the fire hit. Your kids were getting married. What a celebration. Until you find out that your other kids are separating. Somehow, some way, we get these stories that hit us out of nowhere on our blind side. It's the best of times, and suddenly it's the worst of times. Lydia, this woman of influence and importance, and her whole house are saved. The slave woman is miraculously free. And the next thing that we know, bam, we're dragged and accused and being shouted at and cursed on. 
falsely accused, dragged to an angry mob. And that leads us to scene three, a swift turnaround of fortunes. Ever had that day? Ever had a swift turnaround of fortunes? Last summer, a really good friend of mine called me up and said, Hey, uh, my son you know, has always loved your preaching, has always loved what you've done for our family, the way you've pastored. He and his girlfriend are engaged. They'd like to know if you would do their mar- premarital counseling and set a date for next summer and marry them. I love these kids. I did their brother's funeral about five years ago. A year later, I did their grandmother's funeral. They're close friends. I've known them since I was about 15. The, the parents and the kids, I've known them all their life. So I said, you bet. And I met with them and we set a plan in motion. Then I got another phone call from the kids. Hey, mom's cancer's back. And she's in the hospital and we don't think she's going to make it. We are wondering if we could move the date up to next month just to make sure she's there. And I said, oh, yeah. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fly through the premarital counseling. Let's do what we need to do. And then Cindy and I, just weeks ago, as you guys know, we were in Colorado and Wyoming exploring some opportunities. We come back, we land, and we get the phone call. Hey, mom's really not doing well. Would you marry us in her hospital room tonight? The best of times and the worst of times. We were reunited after all these hardships the last few years to celebrate a wedding. Monday night, I left our district conference so that I could marry them in the room with their mom unresponsive. The next day I was with the family when she passed, and last Friday I did her funeral. It's amazing how life hits us. You're either coming out of a valley, going into a valley, or in the middle of a valley. I don't say that to depress you, because our joy is not in the valley, right? Our joy is not in the valley. But sometimes we need to understand the reality of life. And we've had those days. In verse 22, the crowd joins in the attack against Paul and Silas. The crowd joins in. Now we're not just talking one or two accusers. The crowd has joined in. And the magistrates order them to be stripped and to be beaten with rods. Excuse me. To be severely flogged. Broken bones, eyes swollen shut, blood everywhere. Likely broken legs, can hardly stand. Thrown into prison. And the jailer was not only commanded to watch them, but commanded to put them in the inner cells with shackles on their feet. And guard them carefully. Excuse me. We just came to share the good news. Lydia's whole house was saved. A slave girl was free. And now this? For that? We are baptizing people in the name of Jesus. We are casting out demons. We are helping you in your community. And we're dragged into the marketplace. We're beaten within inches of our life and we're imprisoned. Hey, we all get scene one, good intentions, and we all get scene two. You've been there, right? Ungrateful opposition, I've been there. Most of us get scene three, the swift turnaround of fortunes. One minute we're doing something good, and the next minute we're in a hospital room with a loved one. But this is what we must get, my friends. 
We absolutely have to resolve to get our hearts around this. Scene four. About midnight. Somebody say about midnight. About midnight. By the way, I don't like to read into text too much, but I just have to tell you that I think it's no coincidence that it wasn't two in the afternoon. You ever had a midnight in your life? You ever had a midnight that lasted a whole lot longer than one night? Maybe you're past the midnight except for every night when you close your eyes. And all you can still do is think about the midnight. Every time the birthday comes around, you think about the midnight. Every time Christmas comes around, you're put right back in to midnight. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Hey, I'd be praying at this point too. Lord, smite them! Right? Get me the heck out of here! This is not what we had planned. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And let's look at this. They were singing hymns to God. Can I tell you something? I can't even sing in the morning if Casey or Cindy are in the car. Okay? They don't like that early morning joy kind of stuff. And that's just because they're having a morning. These guys are having a midnight, if you know what I mean. A midnight beyond probably what any of us really know. And they were singing hymns to God. Scene four is this. Even though I will. Even though I will. Even though it was midnight. Even though we were falsely accused. Even though we were beaten. Even though I, Paul, I'm a Roman citizen. And you're going to catch heck tomorrow when you start freaking out when you figure out the fact that I'm not just an anybody, I'm actually a Roman citizen. I used to be part of the trusted guard. Even though the night was long, and I know you understand nights that are long, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I want to say this by spring. In every midnight in your life, you have a captive audience. There are people in your life that are watching how you do midnight. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, And everybody's chains came loose. Not Paul's chains came loose. Not Paul's prison door flew open. Not Silas's chains came loose. All the prison doors were open. And everybody's chains came loose. Two men's praise broke the chains off every prisoner. Are you getting this? Everybody's changed. In other words, your prayer and your praise in your midnight hour absolutely has the power not just to change your heart, not just to change my heart, but to break the chains and usher people around us into freedom. Our worship not only changes our lives, but it changes the lives of those around us. Everybody's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he freaked out. My version. (laughs) He drew his sword, and he was about to even kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. I don't know about you, but if my chains break off and the prison doors open, I'm out. (laughs) But Paul, look at this. I talk about wanting to know how people are feeling and my empathy and my mirror neurons. Paul, knowing how the jailer must be feeling because Paul was Roman guard at one point. Paul shouts out to him. Don't worry. We're still here. Have you ever been with somebody who's in the middle of a midnight and they're sharing it with you? And can I tell you something? Sometimes they don't need all the answers. Sometimes they don't need the prophetic word. I mean, if you have one, Lord bless you. Sometimes they just need to know you're still here. Paul says, we're still here. Don't harm yourself. Again, Paul's concerned with the person. Don't harm yourself. We're here. The jailer called for the lights. The torches rushed in. And he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them up and he asked him, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And a revival broke out. Prayer and worship in the midnight hour sparked a revival. Their testimony of radiant hope in the darkest night was enough of a light to convict this man and point him to Christ. As the worship team comes up, I want to share these last couple of verses with you. In verse 31, they replied, This is what you must do to the jailer's question. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. We go from midnight wipeout to a prayer and praise fellowship hang at the jailer's house. You know, I can't imagine the discussion between Paul and Saul. I was trying to get this text this week. I wanted to feel it. I didn't want to read he was beaten with a rod and thrown in jail and just read the next line. Me who can't even handle it when my daughter's car breaks up. So I grabbed the movie we have, the more recent Caviezel movie called Paul the Apostle. And I watched it yesterday morning again. Just just to put me there. It wasn't about this particular scene, but it helped me. I'm a, I'm a visual guy, and it helped me. I wonder about this conversation with Paul and Saul right before this happens. They're in jail. What are they saying to each other? Hey, Paul, are you okay? Are you there? I can't, I can't see Paul. Are you there? I'm here. Silas, I'm here. Are you okay? I can't believe they would do that to you. I can't even see. My eyes are swollen shut. Can you see? I'm not worried, Silas. 
I've done worse to others. I deserved this a long time ago. But they kept beating you. I tried to, I tried to stop them. I tried to reach out, but they grabbed me. I could barely see. What were you thinking about, Paul? Silas, I was, I was thinking about Stephen. I was thinking about when the crowd laid their coats at my feet and took my command to throw the stones. I've never forgotten the look in Stephen's eye. I was thinking about the day that comes when I'll be able to look at him again and ask his forgiveness, not only his forgiveness, but everyone I've hurt, everyone that I beat with rods that we were beat with today. When I'll be able to look at Jesus who saved me when I didn't deserve it. It's okay, Silas. God's good. I was thinking about Lydia. Silas, I know we're hurting, man, but do you remember what happened the other day? They all came to know Christ. We baptized them. Silas, stay strong, even though we must. I was thinking about that slave girl, Silas. Oh, when you said to me, when you said to me, don't just pray for her, Paul, pray that she'll be free. I just rose up in faith. Silas, I knew you were right. So I did. Did you see that thing fly out of her? Did you see the people around her? She's free today. Oh, I know we're in prison today, Silas, but she's free. Stay strong, Silas. I was thinking about God and how he's been so good to me. I deserved this prison a long time ago. If this is how it ends for me, this is how it ends. But I will praise God. God is good. God is good, Silas. Yeah, Paul. God is good. Hey, Silas, you want to sing while we're in here? You want to sing? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He so good to Hey Silas, you know that bridge? Yeah, let's sing that part. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am sick. And they're hearing it. They're hearing you. Hey, don't you guys know you're in jail in there? Highly favored and all. Hey, what are you doing in there? Those guys must be crazy. Can you hear the jailers now? Glory. Jesus name. God is good. Oh God is but William, you've got back problems. He's not good to you. You're you're losing your home. You're moving to where nobody else even knows you. You broke both wrists. You man even able to hardly hardly hold your babies, Scott. I'll sing it again, church. Come on. But Pastor Dan, every time you help somebody, three more people call you and tell you that you're not doing enough. Marcy, you've said goodbye to your mom. You've said goodbye to family members. Even though 
I will. Can I tell you something? The ground didn't shake and the chains didn't fall off to set them free. They were already free. They just acted like it. They just finally lived like it. They just finally sang like it. The walls fell down and the chains fell off so that everybody else could experience what they were already free. Can I tell you something in your midnight hour? You are already daylight. Can I tell you something when you feel the chains on? You are already free. When we set an atmosphere of praise, God arrives on the scene. It has always been His promise. A jailer was set free in the midnight hour. A jailer was set free in the midnight hour. Even though I will. There are jailers in your life. First of all, I want to say this. If you're in your midnight hour, we want to pray with you today. We're going to break for a potluck right after service, but there's still going to be some people up here that would love to pray with you amidst the commotion. Don't walk out of here back into your midnight without prayer this morning. And I also want to say this. If you were in your midnight hour, if you've been in your midnight hour, if you, you know for sure that at some point, because life is life, right? Life is hard and people are messy. We're going to probably have another midnight at some point. I want to remind you this. You've got a captive audience. I told you my third goal today was to implore you to share it. So as we sing this last song, the ushers are going to come forward and pass some baskets. Those baskets have in there a token. And I want you to pray, first of all, before you reach in, that you're going to grab the right token. Tokens have different words on them. Some say faith, some say hope, some say joy. just want you to pray, Lord, help me grab the right one. Don't look at it. Grab it. And this is my encouragement to you, my last week at Life Spring. Would you find someone this week who you know needs to be reminded in their midnight hour and just say, I know it's midnight for you, but I will believe for joy and give them that token. I know it's midnight for you, but I will believe for hope for you. I know it's midnight for you, but I'm going to believe for love or for peace. And give them that token. And if they have no other place to fellowship, invite them with you back next week. Oh man, I would love to hear from Pastor Dan. The people came because you were radiant light in somebody's midnight hour. Amen? So the